over the years, I mean, there's been so many different cases I could describe, but one most recently really, really got my attention. And, and this is not unusual, by the way, but this one happened to get my attention of a, of a woman, you know, playing you know, sports with her kids, right? Got hit in the head with a basketball. And from that point forward, for seven years, had incapacitating, disabling headaches, classified as migraines, for which she would spend upwards of three to five days in the hospital several times a year, and, at, and told me that she had over a thousand injections of steroids and Botox into her neck and skull, had ablation done when the nerves were burnt, went through multiple rounds of uh, physical therapy, and within about eight weeks, we had her pain-free, and the motivation for her to come see us was that the next step was to cut nerves in her neck and the offshoot of that could have been a loss of control of the nerves and muscles that held her head up. So somebody said to her, you know, before you do that, it might it be a bad idea to go check out a chiropractor? Maybe we can do something. Welcome to Health Stories, interviews inside the healthcare system. I'm Dr. Nicole Deffenbaugh, Clinical Communications Specialist, and I want to first thank our listeners because we have reached another milestone of 20,000 downloads. So thank you, and thanks to liking us on Facebook and telling your friends as well about health stories. I am pleased and delighted to be joined here with Dr. Paul Brott. He's a chiropractor, and he has been a doctor for 39 years, and he is going to be talking about healing through chiropractic medicine. So welcome to the podcast. Great. Thanks again. It's wonderful to have you here. So you said it was um, not a not all that unique of a story. No. Um, Wow. So I'm thinking seven years. She mm -hmm. had injections. Mm -hmm. She had been through different procedures. Mm -hmm. And um, and and this isn't all uncommon. No, it's not. I think that, the, you know, as we talked a little bit earlier before we started the podcast, is that, you know, there's a, there's a cultural condition that goes on in American healthcare where people are literally conditioned to see their primary care doctor. That's where most people start. Mm -hmm. And so the, the people will go into their primary care doctor with a spine pain or a joint pain. And most of the time, these, these conditions are self-limiting for most people. They'll lift something in the yard, you know, seasonally, they'll, they'll shovel snow, they'll work in a garden, and it produces a certain sprain strain that has a, has a shelf life, goes away on its own. But there's a vast majority of people who are dealing with chronic pain. And one of the biggest public health problems we have right now in the country is chronic pain, for which you see this disastrous result from the opioid crisis. And one of the most common reasons why people take increasing amounts of serious and dangerous drugs uh, is musculoskeletal pain. It's one of the primary reasons for drug addiction and death by opioids. So it's a very common problem. So there's a huge and growing segment of the population that is prone to chronic pain of a musculoskeletal nature that responds very poorly to cultural conditioning starting off in medical care. Mm -hmm. Now, what people are conditioned to do Let's go to the primary care doctors. Well, a primary care doctor will take a look and go, okay, what, what, what am I going to do with this person? The most common approach to that is pharmaceuticals, anti-inflammatories, muscle relaxants, maybe a steroid shot, that type of thing. When that type of work doesn't produce the result, then the next uh, logical uh, step would be referral to a quote-unquote spine specialist, which would be a physiatrist perhaps, orthopedic surgeon perhaps, physical therapy, stronger drugs, uh, culminating, if failed, would probably with a surgical intervention. Mm. So chiropractic kind of sits outside that system. And I was at a party some, some months ago, and a woman approached me and says, oh, I understand that you're a chiropractor. I said, yeah. And I'm also a board-certified in orthopedics and board-certified in rehabilitation. Uh, but uh, she said, well, you know, I'm seeing a spine specialist for my problem. I go, oh. I said, how's that working out? 
She says, well, I've been seeing him now for the past about four or five years. I go, oh, really? Well, how's it working out? She says, well, <clears throat> I took these various drugs and, you know, I, I had some reactions to that. And then I had several injections and I had several epidurals, but I can only get three a year. And I said, well, how's that working out? And she goes, well, uh, the pain comes back a lot, and it's, I'm told it's progressive, nothing to be done. I said, so let me get this straight. So you see the spine specialist who drugs you, injects you, and it says it's not going to get better. I said, you might want to consider a different kind of spine specialist. Mm. You know, chiropractics are different kinds of spine specialists. And there are subspecialties within chiropractic in neurology, orthopedics, uh, physical uh, rehabilitation, and so on, where chiropractic education is eight years of schooling. But... They have additional three years in diplomat status in these various specialties. So when you see a spine specialist, it's either a mechanical spine specialist, which chiropractors are, which is very unique, or you see a medical spine specialist where mechanical problems of the musculoskeletal system are approached chemically. Mm, okay. So when people come in, the first decision that we have to make in chiropractic is whether or not they're a good candidate for chiropractic or not, because not everybody is. It's like going to a dentist with a broken foot. You know, you're kind of in the wrong office, right? Right. But it, most, most spine pain is mechanical in nature. So people will show obvious postural distortions. They won't move right. They can't get out of a chair. They're crooked. Leg length is different. The exact location can be isolated by an inflammatory process that's painful to the touch. They have compensatory muscular problems all the time that can be actually seen and observed. There are reflex tests that we do right now. They're very accurate for isolating the exact location of where a person would have what's called a neuroarticular malfunction. What that means, basically, pieces don't fit, creates a neurological response, creates a whole lot of muscular reactions that occupies everybody's attention because when people are looking at the responses and the, and the, the problems that are a result of this, they're taking muscle relaxes for muscle responses. They're stretching continually, but they can't get out of pain. So my point is that when people have recurrent pain, recurrent pain, recurrent pain, the condition has been missed. And not mechanically analyzed because we're in a chemical system. Yeah. You see. So can you tell me? So thinking about the the opening story that you had, can you think of some other patient stories that really stand out for you and yeah. what people have come in for? Sure. I mean, I, we talked earlier about this. I mean, I have them happen every day. You know, we see maybe 60, 70 patients a day in our clinic, and um, they all have a story. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've had people with upwards of three and four surgical fusions that have been done that are in chronic pain management see significant subjective response to chiropractic. And now most people think about chiropractic, they go, well, you know, I don't want to have my bones cracked and popped and twisted because it looks, you know, very threatening to me. Mm-hmm. But even uh, chiropractic manipulation done manually is, is very, very safe. And actuarial studies have been done for years that indicate chiropractic is one of the safest modalities in healthcare anywhere. Um, but we've taken it to a different level right now where there's actually instruments, I think, that you're familiar with that are actually much more precise in moving a single bone in a correct direction without any twisting or taking a spine to tension that most people find very, very comfortable. And it's a big relief that they don't have to be manipulated with the apprehension of something hurting. So chiropractic has evolved you know, over the past 10, 15, 20 years to a mechanical specialty that addresses these problems, these musculoskeletal problems without drugs and surgery in a way far more efficient by multiple statistics and multiple studies have done over years uh, than anything available in chemical care. Because yeah. it's not a chemical problem, it's a, it's a mechanical problem. And when people get that idea, they oh, I understand. And then all of a sudden, it, the chiropractic becomes a very viable option for them. Yeah. I'm thinking about the resistance to chiropractic medicine mm-hmm. too, because you're talking about the mechanical mm-hmm. versus the chemical. And right. the, 
you know, in this podcast, we talk about the, you know, how people navigate through our healthcare system. Right. And oftentimes that navigation, um, the treatment options, like you said, have, you know, have to do with pharmaceutical medications or have to do with some mm -hmm. sort of chemical. Um, and like you said, that can also be appropriate um, for many people, too. Um, but we often don't think about sort of the, you know, um, mechanistic aspect of moving the body. Right. Um, but I'm also amazed at how chiropractic medicine is now covered by your health insurance, and mm -hmm. it wasn't mm -hmm. years ago. And so it's definitely made its way into mainstream healthcare, mm -hmm. and yet it still receives a lot of, um, you know, stigma mm -hmm. and, and negativity. Sure. Have you seen that in your patients who come in, and it's almost like they don't want to be there, but they're desperate and this is their last hope yeah no less so now because most people are, are, are looking at chiropractic as their first option you know more oh, so okay. than ever now so the majority of our patients right now are considering chiropractic as their first option rather than a last oh, resort okay. now, that's a cultural change over the past yeah. probably 15 years I've noticed it more and more and more and more I think people think oh uh, dentist uh, teeth uh, uh, okay chiropractors uh, 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 spine so we're seeing that associated I asked them I said why did you choose chiropractic they go, well you know you guys work with the spine right I go yeah it's true so I think a little history is appropriate here. You know, back, uh, chiropractic is probably one of the most successful uh, social protest movements, you know, in the 20th century. You know, chiropractic started in 1895. And there's a funny story. Uh, the original chiropractic college was Palmer College out in Davenport, Iowa. It started in 1895. And right about 100 miles away uh, was the first osteopathic College started by A.E. Stills back in 1895. And so the old saying goes, if you ask the osteopaths, well, the, the chiropractor stole osteopathy, and the chiropractor says, well, the osteopath stole chiropractic. Well, that, who <laughs> did what when is shrouded in history. But the point is that the, med the medical professions were never really licensed till about 1923. So prior to that, it was, uh, you know, the various trades and the various guilds almost, almost like a medieval guild system, you know, uh, was the, the way that medicine was generally uh, practiced in the United States. In the 20s, what began to happen is the Rockefeller money began to come in and at, uh, under the stipulation that the medical schools would be would be bought and would be uh, converted into teaching with Terra Medica, which basically had a pharmaceutical background. So the Rockefellers actually funded the medical education back in the 20s and with the proviso that uh, any medical school that uh, accepted the foundation money would have to teach with Terra Medica and the, the use of drugs. Prior to that, Medicine was a was a was almost like a colloquial art, yeah. and after that it began to be codified. Well, medicine was licensed in the twenties, and chiropractic was never licensed across the fifty states in the United States until the the, the early nineteen fifties. Mm -hmm. So we had about twenty five thirty years to catch up uh, legislatively, and also uh, to get the accreditation process to the point where they actually accepted as a, as a bona fide profession. So the resistance, I mean, came from the beginning because there's a difference of opinion, I think motivated by vested interest about who's going to deliver what and for how much. You know, so you see continually trade wars where you, you surveyed, not so much quite so many more, but if you sort of surveyed the orthopedists, they didn't care for the podiatrists. Podiatrists, you know, didn't care for the osteopaths. Osteopaths didn't care for them and the physical therapists didn't care for who else. Because these trade wars existed, you know, throughout the professions and still to some degree that's the case. But, you know, chiropractic was always the odd man out because we were so far outside the box that, you know, we weren't even worth considering. And the, the American Medical Association was found guilty of the most flagrant antitrust violations yet seen by the federal courts and enjoined to stop their, their blackball campaign against chiropractic back in probably the late 70s, early 80s in the federal courts. 
and actually printed in the Journal of American Medical Association that medical associations had been guilty of trying to eliminate and consolidate the various professions you know, under the medical umbrella, which they did with osteopathy. They absorbed osteopathy totally, where right now an osteopathic doctor is on par with any medical doctor as far as the training. Chiropractic was outside that because we were mechanically oriented. There was no mechanical source of healthcare anymore, except for a few osteopaths that continued to practice outside the system. So I think we've got that historical perspective to view because the referral patterns in medicine generally have been from primary care doctors up the hierarchical ladder to the next specialty, next specialty, next specialty, right. terminating surgery, and with failed surgeries into pain management. So I mean that's kind of the, that's kind of the path most people follow, but. There's a long, long history of looking at chiropractic, find something wrong with it, and uh, the research indicated everything right about chiropractic because it's faster, quicker, highest degree of patient satisfaction of any of the professions, and it has endured, you know, as also social protest movement until now people uh, are looking at it as a primary option. Where the American Medical Association just last year has recommended chiropractic as one of the viable first treatment options for for spine pain because it is so prevalent. Yeah. I mean, leading cause of lost work time in the United States next to the common cause of spine pain, leading cause of disability is spine pain, leading cause of, of, of uh, the drug addiction is musculoskeletal, including spine pain, and one of the leading cause of death by opioids is musculoskeletal pain, primarily spine pain. So you can see how prevalent it is. We're 80% of the American population, according to statistics kept by the Department of Labor in Washington, uh, indicate that a person 80% of the time will be disabled at least once in their working lives with lower back pain alone. Yeah. So it's a very lot. common. And, they can, and right now the population is more deconditioned and, and obese. And of course, all those metrics are now a factor with people's mm-hmm. just general predisposition to musculoskeletal pain. Yeah. So chiropractic medicine has really come a long way from where it was over 100 very years true. ago. Very and true. And when you mm-hmm. talked about the doctor of osteopathic medicine, yes. like was across the street, yeah, you know, I don't know how many people realize that their primary care physician might have a DO background. Yeah, it could be. And there's a lot of similarities and, and you know, crossover with osteopathic medicine, yep. but we don't necessarily think about that or ask about that. I saw my dermatologist today. I have my skin mapped every year. You know, I try to do all the things I tell my patients to do, right? Yeah. So today was my day with the dermatologist. Dermatologist. My dermatologist is DO. Yeah, yeah. But he walks in, I mean, he's not going to manipulate my spine because very few do anymore. Right. Uh, but he's basically a medical doctor. He's training parallels out of NEMD. Yeah. And I'll let you know that too because there had been trade wars between osteopathy and medicine for years where they were, their status was diminished, you know, and you denigrated whenever possible. But that that's changed. Now, but some of the bias against chiropractic is stuck, you know. And yeah. Uh, when people walk into our office and we treat them in an orthopedic fashion, I mean, our application of orthopedics is probably as more and more accurate and more um, astute, I think, than even most orthopedists because a lot of orthopedists right now, who some I treat in my office as patients, are more concerned about blood work testing and imaging. They really get, you know, they don't really get down and dirty quite so much anymore. By I mean, get in there and just grapple with the patient, figure out what's going on with them, get their hands on it. And uh, a case of some years ago, I had a friend of mine who's an osteopathic doctor who had chronic back pain, and then uh, we isolated his problem right at the fifth lumbar, you know, and uh, I pointed the spot, and he jumped off the table, and I go, what's, what's that? I says, well, that's the source of your problem. He said, what was that? I says, the fifth lumbar. I said, anybody know where you found that before? I said, no, nobody really laid their hands on me. I've got lots of MRI studies, lots of imaging, lots of x-rays, and a CT scan, and an EMG study. I had all kinds of work done, but nobody really got in and found the exact clinical point. So interesting aspect to that when you look at how people are uh, managed 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think about my, my mother grew up in Wisconsin, um, in northern Wisconsin, and she talks about the doctor, their primary care physician mm-hmm. for their entire area was a chiropractor. And she said the chiropractor um, was the one who delivered the babies and the chiropractor was the wow. one who went to the farmers and, wow. you know, helped them with their back issues. And, the you know, the chiropractor was, they were two in one. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about that, it makes me think about how medicine used to be so much about laying of the hands. You know, mm-hmm. you're actually touching the, the pain mm-hmm. in order to mm-hmm. identify the cause of it and, mm-hmm. and how to treat it. And, medicine has really transitioned into, like you said, the blood work and the x-rays and not necessarily one-on-one with the patient, but one-on-one with um, the, you know, it very much makes me think, um, kind of going back a long time, something I was teaching in my class not too long ago, um, was this aspect of Descartes and how we've really taken the body away mm-hmm. from our understanding of medicine mm-hmm. and these mechanistic tools we use like x-rays and blood tests mm-hmm. to understand the body as opposed mm-hmm. to just being one with the person. That's an important aspect because, you know, people aren't, um, uh, I hear consistently from patients who come to see us, and I think this is a trend, um, that it's, it's, it's less now the art of medicine than is the business of medicine. Mm-hmm. And... The, the guys that I knew, by guys, I mean the, the, the physicians that I've known personally over the years, uh, or case in point, I had the, one of the largest internal medicine practices, you know, just right down the road from us. And I, we, had, we had patients in common. We would share information about management and so on. Uh, resisted absorption into our local healthcare systems and capitulated because his, uh, that's the exact term he used, capitulation, because uh, his hospital privileges are being pulled. So he's being forced into the system. So right now, the guys who practice, for example, primary care and internal medicine, uh, they were brilliant. A lot of them were artists in the, in the, in the area of medicine. It was, uh, medicine was an art. And right now, medicine is more of a business, I see, because I hear from people and also uh, some of my friends who have gone into the system and came out of it because they couldn't tolerate just the uh, limited time uh, the documentation of every everything that's done so so precisely most of the time and most doctors don't have a computer background so they're laboring over making entry regarding patients you know to be able to fill certain criteria that are stipulated by the business of medicine and so much of the, the attention is fractured between getting the, the, the demands of the administration done with the clinical uh, evaluation of the patient and people feel that yeah. and I hear that consistently from patients you know, so I think that right now what we see, the, the younger guys don't know the difference. The younger practitioners don't know the difference because they're coming up in that system where uh, you know, computerization is prevalent, where everything's got to be documented. Not that it's a bad thing to document, but your attention's on that in a limited amount of time and you're being constrained by that. Uh, it's, it's an issue. And so what I want to do is I want to transition into thinking about those who are listening mm-hmm how to navigate through the system. Mm-hmm. And so it might be somebody who has chronic pain, mm-hmm. has been seeing a specialist and getting injections, mm-hmm. and they're, they're afraid to start chiropractic mm-hmm. medicine. You know, what would you say to that person who's listening? How, how would you start? Where would you begin? Yeah, well, back to the beginning again, most musculoskeletal pain is self-limiting, fortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for those people who are kind of stuck in the system, see, people, what people don't understand is that a musculoskeletal pain that's, per, that's persistent is a process. It's kind of like having a cavity in your tooth. That will not get better with rest of time. Mm. So if anything begins to exceed what's called a, uh, a natural course, like, for example, if you sprain your ankle, you know, two, three months you're going to be done with it. 
And when people come into our office and I go, well, how long have you had that now? Uh, not long. No, how long have you had it? Um, well, not long. No, how long? Oh, 13 years now. Yeah, well. You know, it's way beyond what's called a natural course. So then you're into the area of managing the process. So, so the way the process is typically managed is suppression of symptoms in medical care. So when you're in a system like that where the pain is not getting better, and mechanical aspects are usually ignored. You have to explore those. Now, oftentimes people have physical therapy, which is wonderful. Right now, there's a trend right now in physical therapy to create doctors of physical therapy that are, that are trying to manipulate. You know, they're trying to approach it mechanically like that. A lot of times people have rounds of physical therapy, and then they don't do the physical therapy exercise, and the pain recurs. Yeah. So the idea is, first of all, to identify it as a process, number one, and then number two, address the process mechanically. Once the mechanics are taken care of, the leg length is even, the range of motion is restored, the inflammation has been taken care of, the muscles are pulling properly, then it's a matter of trying to maintain the, the machinery with appropriate use with lifestyle modifications and doing some postural exercises. I mean, you don't have to train for the Olympics to do this. Five or six minutes a day will do the trick. Okay. You see, So we try to orient our patients once we're done with them toward lifestyle changes that, that help to enhance their health long term. And we try to handle the, the, the conditions that produce the this, this pain to begin with. Now, if a guy's out, you know, digging ditches all day long or is exposed to manual labor, which a lot of people are, okay, then we have to keep track of those people with what, what are called our maintenance programs. You know, some miles are harder than others on the body. So therefore, our maintenance programs keep track of the process or to the degree the process can't be corrected, uh, help to maintain the residuals so people are not slipping back into you know, being symptomatic again. Mm -hmm. So this way we can keep people out of having recurrent trouble all the time by just taking care of them. Like dentistry, for example, you go have your root canal taken care of. If you don't brush, don't floss, never have your teeth checked again, your lie will have trouble again. Mm -hmm. You okay. see? Same thing with chiropractic. If we, when we understand that the, this, that the musculoskeletal system is under consistent stress from gravity, let alone our deconditioned status, and let alone what we do every day with um, not keeping uh, altered mechanics in mind for a lot of people, they expose themselves and the vulnerability increases as they age. Mm. So the more that people can understand that chiropractic can be used as a way to not only get well, but stay well long-term, mm. that's a huge thing. Rather than be dependent on you know drugging yourself, and you'd be shocked you know, how many people, what percentage of the population right now is drug-dependent for pain control. It's shocking. Yeah. So thinking about the uh, analogy with dentistry, um, taking that analogy to the next step, if I'm in chronic pain, sort of like the chronic tooth, yeah. Ache. And I have tried specialists and I've seen orthopedists and I've seen surgeons. Mm. Now might be the time just to try chiropractic medicine. Just go in, have an evaluation. It doesn't mean you have to go in all the time every week for the rest of your life because no. you wouldn't do that with the dentist. But it would be an opportunity, what I'm hearing you say, is for the chiropractor to identify what's going on yep. and to address the mechanics of what's happening in order to see what we can do in either to restore function mm. or to prevent any sort of continued deterioration that's occurring. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good first step. I think yeah. chiropractic should be tried first and fail first before other things oh, are okay. done. You know, because first of all, it's cheaper. It's much, much, oh, much less okay. expensive. People will come sometimes in and they'll say, oh, gee, you know, this is very expensive to do this. And mm -hmm. I go, well, expensive compared to what? Right. Uh, the question is, compared to what is it expensive? Is it compared to... Uh, Having one MRI for $1,500, you got a $3,000 deductible. Is it, is it as expensive as a series of three epidural injections you know, for a couple thousand dollars a piece? Is it, is it as expensive as uh, you know, physical therapy for two, three, four hundred dollars a visit? No, it's not. By comparison, it's extremely inexpensive. But if people are going to spend money, you want to get value for it. You know? and we have a yardstick in our practice. If people are not 50% improved within six weeks, we know we're on the wrong track. 
Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So 50% improvement within six, within weeks. six weeks. Yeah. Oh, okay. Exactly. Now, the first thing is, too, is, to, is that patient selection is, is really critical for chiropractic. We have to make sure that the spinal pain is indeed musculoskeletal pain. It's not masquerading mm -hmm. as a referred pain from an organ. It's not associated with a traumatic fracture, obviously. Of course, the patient's history would dictate that, and imaging would, would parse that out. Uh, they're not dealing with some type of undiscovered pathology, which, mm -hmm. which fortunately is the exception to the rule. But then again, um, the idea is to make sure that patients are selected correctly so that the musculoskeletal criteria for selection are, are definitely fulfilled so you can proceed on a good, firm clinical setting. If you can do that, then, you know, the success rates of chiropractic are extremely high. So where can patients um, go? Where can people start if they're interested? Is there a national website or somewhere they can go to, to look up a chiropractor? Yeah, I think, you know, chiropractic uh, in the neighborhood, so to speak, you know, people ask around, and most of our patients are referrals, you know, okay. so what happens, most people will start with, most people will go, hey, you know, I got a back problem, you know anybody, you know, and they, most of our patients will come in as a result of a referral from a satisfied patient, and that's a, that's a pretty good referral, I and mean, that's, that's a pretty good way to start. Um, you know, there are web searches, you know. Um, I mean, we trend number one in the area here, and we've got more, you know, reviews than anybody. They're all five stars, you know. Now, did that indicate that everybody gets better? Does that indicate that I'm the best doctor? No, not by a long shot. I mean, some people are really good at marketing. Some people are not that good clinically, you know. There's good marketing. So, again, it's, you know, you, you, you take a chance with anything. So, the idea, I think, is the best place to start is a referral. Um, also, uh, I have a specialty training, I think, is really uh, an evolution of chiropractic using an instrument called an activator. Now, um, people can go on to the activator.com website, which I personally think is the most advanced technique in chiropractic and is not involved with manual manipulation, but uh, has been studied by NIH and it's got a lot of, a lot of data behind it, published in spine, in the journal spine, which is very difficult to get in. Uh, and if you go onto their website, you can find trained doctors, and there's three mm -hmm. levels of training. There's training, there's rate, was rated, then there's proficiency rated, then advanced proficiency rated. So if you find an advanced proficiency rated activator doctor, you know they've gone through about two years of training with the doctor to develop the instrument. So you're going to get a really, a really good clinical approach that way. That's a good place to start. Mm -hmm. Um, and just just for the listeners, I want to yeah. go back to the activator was that instrument, and you were talking about being oh. able to just focus on a single bone. Yeah, so exactly. somebody who's a little bit um, squeamish or afraid of actually having yeah. someone, you know, um, manipulate you know, them, manipulate them yeah. and, and, you know, body slam them. Right. I, I hear people say, oh, my gosh, I don't want that. Right. The activator is a single small tool instrument yeah. that just puts each bone. Yeah, an enormous amount of data behind it, an enormous yeah. amount of justification, okay. an enormous amount of published data about it. So any other words of advice or thoughts that you have for people who are listening? Yeah, you know, I think I think people deal with too much pain in the United States. We're overdrugged. You know, I was reading Time magazine uh, um, a couple of weeks ago, where actually antidepressants are showing up in the in the brains of fish in the Great Lakes. You know, so I mean, some years ago, um, the, the Philadelphia Inquirer did a study where every drug tested for shows up when you turn your water on in the house because those types of molecules are not filtered out by typical. Uh, public sanitation, the molecules are too small. So we're overdrugged. I mean, it's in the environment, it's in the water table. So I think we have to stop drugging ourselves to death. And to recognize, you know, when alternatives are available, they're more efficient. You know, uh, the American public has been conditioned into drug therapy. They've been conditioned to have something and take something. I mean, that's the thing. And even now you see advertising on television, advertising uh, over-the-counter analgesics, Tylenol, Nuprin, you know, to healthy people because they got a little bit of a pain in their back from, or a pain in their shoulder from going to the gym. It's just a, it's just a, a very bad path. The, is the treatment road that I'm on right now producing the results I want? 
If it is, fair enough, good enough, that's great. And if it's not, if the process is going on too long beyond a natural course and the amount of drugs people have to consume and the, and the amount of uh, procedures they have done are getting more and more complex and more and more invasive, I think that uh, I think there's time to take a look at chiropractic as a viable alternative because it certainly is. And it's uh, the basis on which chiropractors operate today is as valid as anything done to medicine because even to this day, most medical care is, is anecdotal and most of it is, uh, uh, is pharmaceutically driven. And, you know, this year's miracle drug is next year's class action suit. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Yeah. Bra, for being on the podcast. Appreciate you. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate you being here. And for our listeners, again, you can find us on Facebook at Health Stories. We're also on Twitter at Stories Health. And you can leave a message or if you're interested in being on the show at Nicole Deffenbaugh. That's N-I-C-O-L-E-D-E-F-E-N-B-A-U-G-H dot com slash blog. Look forward to having you joining us again next week. This is Nicole Deffenbaugh with House Stories.